All right, let's talk about your next patient. So a uh, 58-year-old female who smoked one and a half packs per day from the age of 18 to 26, who in March of 2010 had persistent right-sided infracostal discomfort as well as a non-productive cough. She subsequently had an abnormal chest X-ray and subsequent CAT scan, which showed a 3.5 by 3.2 centimeter mass posterior to the right main stem bronchus with multiple right pleural base nodules, at least six, all in the range of one to two centimeters. Brain MRI was negative. PET-CT on April 1st confirmed metabolic activity of all of the aforementioned lesions, as well as a right paratracheal node. Subsequent bronchoscopy with an FNA of an endobronchial lesion showed adenocarcinoma with a KRAS mutation. On April 16th, 2010, she began docetaxel, carboplatin, and bevacizumab with a very good partial response to her primary lesion and virtual complete resolution of all of her pleural-based pulmonary nodules, this occurring after three cycles of therapy. After her fourth cycle, she was switched to maintenance pemetrexate bevacizumab, and as of May 11th of this year, she remained in a near PET CR with an excellent performance status, which really continues to this day today because of a number of issues. We've moved out her maintenance schedule to every four weeks and are trying to build in some chemotherapy breaks for her, given the fact that she's under a great deal of stress because she's got a dependent daughter living at home and she herself suffers from ongoing endogenous depression. So Ruggiero, any comments about this case and also about this person? No, I mean, this is another interesting presentation. It's not always clear cut. You know, the management of patients with pleural involvement is at times a little different than what we do with patients with distant extrathoracic metastases. And I think that this is one of the issues that Dennis and I talked about today. I think in terms of her chemotherapy management, she has done exceedingly well and has been, again, almost without evidence of disease on pemetrexid and bevacizumab for quite some time on a attenuated schedule. So, you know, one of the questions we discussed this morning when we saw her was, you know, how long do we keep this going, right? And do we offer patients breaks or do we wait for patients to ask for breaks? And today, for example, you know, and Dennis can explain this a little better, she thought that this was a good time to take a break, right? She and did, she did. I mean, she's under a lot of stress and her stress levels basically determine her performance status and her wanting breaks and chemo holidays. So she's a single woman with a daughter who was living at home, who now is sort of living at a support center for depression. And she's been desperate, desperate to take a vacation. She hasn't really been able to take a vacation in a very long time because of this attachment to her daughter. And now with her disease, she's sort of overwhelmed. You could have a sense that she's overwhelmed by her disease, her treatment, the issues with her daughter. And she really does need at least to take a break from one of those things. And the easiest thing to take a break from is her chemotherapy. And I'm trying to encourage her to get away. I think just a change in environment would do her a world of good. And so she's trying to work that through now. So we agreed we'd skip her next treatment. She'll return in six weeks. And we'll sort of reassess her situation at that time. 
And I think, Neil, I convinced her to come to Miami for her break. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. So, I mean, it's a very interesting issue. I mean, sometimes you ask, is there something else that can be done? But truthfully, in this case, I think her management has been, you know, stellar and she's done as well as anybody could hope for. And again, if you subscribe to the notion, even in the midst of maintenance, that treatment breaks are an important component of the treatment of these patients, then this was a very enlightening discussion. I observed how Dennis, you know, held the conversation with her. It's not always easy to talk to patients about treatment breaks. There's also... On the one hand, there's that desire, you know, to actually be off treatment for a while. On the other hand, there's the anxiety, you know, that comes with it. And I think Dennis handled that, you know, masterfully. So I think it was a good visit. And hopefully, you know, I don't know how long this break will be and if it's just one cycle that she's going to miss or if she's going to enjoy it and then decide that she wants to push it a little further. This is, again, the art of oncology. So... Any sense, Dennis, what her greatest concerns are or fears? If I had to sort of prioritize, Neil, I think her daughter is an overwhelming concern for her. I think that situation, you know, preceded her cancer diagnosis. And I would imagine that she would be doing a lot better overall, mentally, physically, if her daughter were not going through what she's going through. That would be my absolute sense of her. Ruggieri, what about the issue of depression? In what situations do you refer? In what situations do you treat with antidepressants? Do you use complementary strategies like, you know, exercise? Or how do you approach it? And how often do you see it? So it's my understanding, Dennis, correct me if I'm wrong, that the diagnosis of depression in this lady preceded, you know, the diagnosis of lung cancer. So this is someone who already came, you know, with that pre-existing condition. And is under the care of a psychiatrist. Of a psychiatrist, yes. And she takes actually a myriad of drugs, including multiple supplements, to your point, Neil, and vitamins, etc. But, you know, I think every patient diagnosed with cancer should be given the opportunity to have at least an initial evaluation with a psychologist who can then decide whether a more formal referral is appropriate. And I think it's my understanding that we're about to be surveyed again by the Commission on Cancer. I'm sure you go through this every three years as well. And this is going to be a mandate now from the Commission on Cancer, that this evaluation be done and documented on every single patient so that we can screen these individuals a little bit more efficiently than I think we do so far. It's very prevalent. Patients don't always like to talk about it, don't discuss it very much during the visit, and we don't do a very good job at interrogating the patients about these issues. So I think it needs to be done by a separate professional. And if you look at Jennifer Tamel's trial that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and I think this basically subscribes to what we're talking about. This was a trial in which patients were, all of them at MGH, under the care of specialized thoracic oncologists, so knowledgeable individuals who know how to take care of lung cancer patients, and they were randomized to what they called standard care or standard care plus a referral to a palliative care specialist. And not surprisingly, quality of life, which was the primary endpoint of the trial, 
was superior in those individuals who were under the care of a palliative care specialist. But I think very surprisingly, and still to be explained, there was also a survival advantage in those patients who received the extra care. So this has questioned, I think, a lot of people, including those individuals who think that we as medical oncologists should be doing all of this, right, alone, and that should be part of our holistic approach to patients. But I think what this demonstrates is that there are needs that are not captured by the medical oncologist during those visits. Yeah, you know, when you were talking about the depression, that was exactly what I was thinking about the Jennifer Tamil study. And I'm yeah. curious, Dennis, in terms of your perspective, because, you know, these people started out, you know, at the diagnosis with palliative care specialists and people who were involved with that, including Tom Lynch, who was there at Mass General when the study done, and the people who did this study came away thinking this had to do with, quote, dealing with existential angst, you know, talking to people. I'm curious what your perspective was of this, Dennis, because I think a lot of people maybe looked at that and said, well, yeah, but I really know how to deal with these issues. Yes and no. I mean, we do deal with these issues, but as Rogerio said, you know, as much as we try, there's only so much we could do because of the time element. And I do think that people who are totally focused on this aspect of the patient's care need to really be involved. And it's really part of that multidisciplinary, holistic mind-body approach. And I think the palliative care approach is critical. And I'm fortunate because I'm lucky to be right now at a center that has a very active palliative care program, a very active palliative care initiative. We have a director of palliative care and we actually are getting some upgoing trials going in palliative care. And so we have a whole team that we try and get involved very early on with these patients. And we sort of had a recent meeting at the hospital to sort of re-energize this program and get it going in light of this recent data. Fascinating. So I told you both this morning before we started this adventure that I was going to ask you, you know, kind of what it was like from your point of view and kind of what it seemed to be like from the patient's point of view. Let's start with Rogerio. This was a delight. It really was. You know, Dennis is a knowledgeable, compassionate, you know, physician who communicates with his patients in a way that I hope I do most of the times. I don't know that for a fact. You can tell how much his patients admire him and trust his judgment. So it's interesting to watch this interaction from a distance, and it was very enlightening and incredibly helpful to me to, you know, when you step out, you know, then you get to see both sides, you know, because you're not in your typical shoes, and you observe that interaction, and you get a much better sense of what's being absorbed and what's not being absorbed. You can almost see how the patient really reads what the physician is saying, which is one of our greatest difficulties. You know, when we say things to the patients, we're not really sure how that's being translated in their minds. But when you're not the one in that position, you're just watching it from you know, a step or two behind, then it becomes a lot easier to gauge that patient's you know, reaction. So this was very, 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 very helpful. How about from your point of view, Dennis, and also what did you see in the patients themselves? Well, from my point of view, I'll tell you, Neil, it was an absolute pleasure to meet Rogerio. I must say I had a little trepidation, having not done this experience before, thinking it was going to be more work and less fun and turned out to be more fun and less work than I thought. And having someone like Rogerio come up with his knowledge base and just sort of 
spend time with me in the practice with the patients. And I mean, we went through every conceivable question that we could regarding, you know, the chess game that is involved in taking care of these folks. And we looked at all kinds of scenarios. So for me, besides the fun, the pleasure, and having gotten to meet Rogerio, it was just a great learning experience for me to spend time with someone who really is thoroughly, thoroughly knowledgeable about the field. It was just great for me. Any sense about how the patients reacted to this experience? I think they enjoyed it. My sense is they enjoyed it. I'll get the feedback down the road. I tried to make them feel a little special, like they were helping me with an educational project for physicians, and I think they were happy to be there. My sense was when I spoke to them about it, they were all enthused about doing it, and I felt that way today, that they were happy to be there, happy to meet our visiting professor, and they felt kind of special. 